Hello everyone, Jose here, and uh, thanks for letting me into your room or your laptop or wherever you are right now. And I was going to start our teaching time with a bit of an up update. It's a Saturday morning here, and we're at the church building at the event center. And I realized by the time you're watching this, everything I say will be irrelevant. I mean, this has been one of those crazy weeks. If you're like me, I, we're just glued to the headlines. I keep checking my apps. and. Unfortunately, watching all this news, I don't even know how helpful most of it is because anxiety seems to rise. We are in an unprecedented time in our generation. I mean, this is not just a little thing. I think we've realized that by now. And, and most of us were not old enough to know firsthand the big climactic events, the world wars or pandemics or things that happened in Rwanda or other parts of the world that have shaped culture, most of us see safe as normal. And uh, here we are, and obviously, if you're a part of the church, I was supposed to be in Vietnam right now in Hanoi preaching in churches. Monday, we weren't sure, by Tuesday, canceled tickets. And there I am on my couch on Wednesday night of this week, just a couple of days ago. And I'm praying as I'm watching the governor of Washington's address, realizing Washington state is making some big choices that are probably gonna affect us. And then as I'm watching it, I, I shut my laptop and then paused. Because I think that's what we just need to do in these moments. We need to stop and take everything we're hearing and we need to bring it to the Father. And so on my couch, I was like, okay, Lord, because Gary Brashears was supposed to teach here uh, this weekend, Lord, is there anything you wanna say to your people? And then when we pray, we ought to stop. You know, of course we ask, but if we're asking God to speak, we should stop and listen. And so I just pause for a few minutes and, you know, your mind goes racing. And then a verse came to mind and I picked up my Bible and here we are. And I want to share uh, that little, little vignette from Jesus's life. And I think how it's going to shape how we think about our future. And I hope it's an encouragement to you. But before I do that, a little story that's going to be helpful. Uh, 2002, I'm in northern Uganda, if you don't know the history at the time, uh, in a town called Gulu, the LRA, called the Lord's Resistance Army, led by an evil man named Joseph Kony. Well, they had come in, this is like a rogue militia, and they were trying to stir some civil war in Uganda. And I was going to Gulu to meet with pastors and to preach the gospel some months later in an open air uh, evangelistic festival. And so I'm there for the first time. I've been to Uganda a bunch, but not Gulu. I'm in uh, Pastor Michael's home and uh, it gets to be late and the sun's going down. So we're in his little, uh, almost one room house, a little kitchenette off of it. And we're seated. And then he draws the, the, the uh, curtains and then he puts on a little candle and the lights go out. Okay, like, this is a weird moment. And so then he explains, he's like, at night, we, uh, when the sun goes down, we turn our lights off and we're talking by little candlelight because at the time, what, what the army would do, this rogue militia, is they would come into towns and they would come with guns ablazing. They often killed moms and dads. They would take everything of value in the home. They would take the animals for food and they would take the children. I think if you've watched documentaries there, it's, it's online, it's all over the place about the LRA. 
And so here I am in this wonderful pastor's home and he has a constant and a calm about him that I just don't have. And he begins to tell me story after story. You see, Michael and his wife lived in Gulu in 2002, but they had to send their kids to the South where it was safe for schooling and boarding school. And yet he was committed to this local church and to the gospel. And he refused to leave because he knew that God's people here in Gulu need to hear God's word now. And we need to be on site praying. We need to be a beacon of hope. And here I am with this man of God. And I remember that night and I'll never forget it because it gave me a whole new insight into what trouble can bring. I mean, here we are and obviously these are troubled times, but what do we do? Now I'm gonna pause because I just told you a story uh, about Michael and you're thinking, okay, this is like COVID-19, this is 2020, what do we do about all of this? I told you a story for a reason. And we're gonna look at Matthew's gospel, Matthew 8 in just a moment. But in the middle of chaos and uncertainty, what Michael had, and I think still has, is a calm and a confidence in God because he has watched God protect his family, his church in the middle of chaos. Now, thankfully, if, if you know now, that situation has gotten so much better in Gulu, but it proves a point, stories speak. And so I'm giving you a narrative to draw you in and bring you in. Hopefully by now, without even thinking about it, you're thinking about it. What would I have done? I mean, would you have stayed in Gulu with those uh, threats around you? I mean, your physical life in danger, having to draw shades and put on candles at night? Would would you have stayed? Why? I mean, what's been the motivation? What would have motivated you to stay or motivated you to go? I think stories, what they do, real life stories, not fairy tales, they draw us into the moment and they provide an opportunity for us to see ourselves and who we really are and what we really believe. Real stories speak. Now, the genius of the Bible, I love the Bible for so many reasons, but the genius of the Bible is 43% of what we have in this book 43% is narrative. And narrative isn't made up stories. Narrative are life encounters. It's, it's the real events of real people in real places. And what narratives do, they by nature teach us. And so when you read a story in the Bible, it's not meant just to give a, you know, a timeless truth or a lesson, although that is to be found. Actually, narratives work to draw us in. It brings us into the experience. I was not there, but I can, I can see myself there just like you can picture yourself in Gulu in troubled times. And so what I wanna do is I wanna read a narrative that came to my mind as I was just on the couch praying, thinking of you, and let's step into the story. I don't wanna tell it just to say what happened. I want us to see what's happening right now as we picture ourselves walking with Jesus. Okay, here we go. Uh, Matthew chapter eight, and we'll start in verse uh, 23. Then uh, Jesus got into the boat with his disciples and they followed him. And suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat, but Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him up saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. And he replied, you, you have little faith. Why are you so afraid? And then he got up and he rebuked the wind of the waves and it was completely calm. Now the men were amazed and they asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves 
obey him. Now, if you've gone to church since you were a child, you've heard the story again and again and again. And going back to the story of Gulu, what, what do you think gave Michael that kind of confidence? Well, you see a contrast in the story because while Michael's faith was not shaken in the midst of adversity, you see the disciples here very much afraid and panicked. And I think these stories, Michael's and the one we see here in scripture, they speak and I hope they speak to you. Now, before we look at it, what, where does this fit in the overall arc of what Matthew's trying to do? Matthew writes a biography of Jesus. Matthew is one of these disciples. He's in the boat and he's sharing it casually, but he experienced those choppy waters and he tells a story for a reason. And if you look at the progression, we won't look at it in detail, but Matthew 4, Jesus calls these 12 uniquely to follow him. And guess what? They say, yes, Matthew's one of them. And as Jesus brings them along, he teaches them. So Matthew frames the biography with a call. They say yes. Then Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is what we call the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to look at that in detail not long from now. And so these called apprentices are given the way. The way of Jesus is listed out. And then you get to Matthew 8 and following, and here's what you see. The progress of these followers trying to live out Matthew 5, 6, and 7. How do they live out Jesus' teaching? Well, when you look at Matthew 8, if you read the whole thing and then Matthew 9 in detail, they're not doing so well. They're not doing so hot, which is a word of hope. When the disciples have become the apostles, the sent ones who go to plant churches and push the Jesus movement forward after Jesus' death and resurrection, when they start, their faith is weak. It's frail. And uh, so what you see is the struggle early on. And Matthew wants us to know life is like that sometimes. Circumstances happen and we don't know what to do and we're afraid and we're timid. But, but the context of the story out on the lake comes right after something really important. So I'm just going to go back a couple of verses, Matthew 8, and we'll start in verse 18. What happens right before they're on the lake? This is, this is huge. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. And then a teacher of the law came to him and said, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, notice, foxes have dens and birds have nests. In other words, they have a place to stay. But the son of man has no place to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go bury my father, which sounds natural. But Jesus told him, follow me and, the dead, and let the dead bury their own dead. Now that sounds ridiculously harsh, right? Why does Matthew frame that and immediately the next encounter is there on the lake? He's making a point. Following Jesus means something. When Jesus gives the call to follow him, that means sometimes you're gonna to have to temporarily leave home, leave business, leave family. It means absolute allegiance. Following Jesus in his way means putting him primary and everything else secondary. So while that does sound harsh, Matthew frames it to make the point that disciples, these 12, they actually followed him. Foxes, you know, have holes, birds have nests, the son of man has no place. Where do you see these 12? Jesus summons them, come on the boat, come on the lake, and they follow him. In other words, they've taken the first step. And if you've taken the first step to follow Jesus, 
well done. But it does not mean that when, when we choose to follow the way of Jesus, when we choose to receive his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness, it doesn't mean everything goes according to our plan. Sometimes it's a hard road. So there they are out on the lake. Now, verse 23 says, when they, when they got into the boat, and his, Jesus got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Now, water is not a big deal. They go on the lake and other translations. It's sea. They're actually um, out on the Sea of Galilee, which is a massive body of water, which had all sorts of weather systems coming in and out of. But what Matthew wants us to know on the outset is in the big picture, this encounter, the whole encounter, is about the disciples growing in their apprenticeship to Jesus. Uh, the event is going to do something, not just with winds and waves and fear. It's actually meant to draw them closer to Jesus. What does following Jesus look like? Well, when we look at water, we don't see like a, a big to-do. But you need to know the people of Israel, Jesus included, Matthew included, all the other followers, they looked at water with fear. They were afraid. These were land people. Now, even though the Sea of Galilee was a wonderful place that they fished from and got food from, there was a sense of fear. As a matter of fact, evil was seen and chaos came out of, out of the waters, right? So the, the lake isn't necessarily a safe place, but Jesus calls them to step out. Let's just look at Psalm 89. We'll look at verses 8 through 10. Who is like you, Lord God Almighty? You, Lord, are mighty and your faithfulness surrounds you. You rule over the, notice this, surging sea. When its waves mount up, you still them. You crushed Rahab like one of the slain. With your strong arm, you scattered your enemies. Uh, when the people of God, Israel, when they, when they saw the waters, they saw it as a place of chaos and even as a place of battle. And when you read the psalm, uh, the psalmist makes a connection. The Lord God Almighty stills the raging waters, right? And then he makes the interpretation, you defeat Rahab, you crushed Rahab. In, in other words, in a, in a place of trouble, God brings calm and still. So they saw the waters as a dangerous place, but really they saw God, God Almighty, as the one who can come and not only calm the physical sea, which again, these are small boats, this is little technology. People could get swallowed up in a storm and easily perish. They saw that in the chaos of life, the Lord God Almighty is the one who stands for his people and crushes the people's enemies. So when this encounter is happening and Matthew's telling it, he actually has something in mind. He's gonna make a connection between the Lord God Almighty, who calms the raging seas, who defeats the enemies, with the Lord Jesus. So let's just look back at, um, at Matthew chapter eight and kind of unpack a few key phrases and then tie it into what we're going to as a country and as a church and you and your own soul and in your family. A couple of key phrases I wanna, I wanna point out. Uh, verse 24 of Matthew eight. Suddenly a, a furious storm came up on the lake. Suddenly a furious storm. Now, uh, like I said, the sea represents chaos and all sorts of evil. The story here, though, isn't just about Jesus's ability over nature. It, it is in one sense. Matthew wants us to know the Lord God Almighty calms the storms. The Lord God Almighty 
Jesus is able to speak to the storm and it's going to go. But more than that, Matthew makes the connection that God is the one who brings peace out of chaos. And the reason I know this is because the, the word he uses for storm is, is seismos. This isn't like, uh, you know, we had snow this morning on Saturday that came out of nowhere in Portland. Oh, that's kind of cool. It came out of nowhere. Uh, this is a earthquake kind of storm. The word seismos is what you'd use to describe a catastrophic event, particularly an earthquake. So they're out on the water and suddenly an earthquake shock comes. This is, this is not just an ordinary you know, swirl that comes in as weather systems still today. If you go to the Sea of Galilee, uh, Galilee, weather systems can come in and can be frightening and really make for choppy waters. Matthew wants us to know that there's something big happening here. It's like a seismic event. And, and don't you just see the parallel when you think about the headlines this week? I mean, we knew this was coming. We've heard reports from China and South Korea and other places. But now like Europe and America, and it seems to be spilling all over the world, suddenly there's a, not a literal earthquake, but the events have like the shocks of an earthquake and even in our own souls. It's not happening out there anymore. Where is it happening? It's happening here. Well, how do you respond? And the, the reason we get the story, the narrative in Matthew is to bring us in. How would we respond? And how do we respond now when it comes to trial and trouble and sudden events that happen? I mean, I never seriously think about toilet paper. I mean, well, I, you know, I think about toilet paper on occasion, but you, you can't even get it. And you can't get bottled water and you, you can't get dry pasta and there's a shortage on everything. And these are one of those moments. We're not on the water, we're not on the lake, but we're feeling as though the financial system could collapse, recession could hit. Uh, a lot of people have already lost work and it's just happening in real time right now. Uh, those in the event business are suffering with event after event. I mean, I'm in, in our event center, but it's usually filled on a Saturday and there's nobody here but us. Uh, what do we do when suddenly we're caught with what we don't know what to do? Life's filled with surprises. Life's filled with trouble and heartache and it doesn't always pre-plan. And that's the thing about the word suddenly. I mean, sometimes life's events are filled with joy and you find out, oh, we're able to get that new home or I got the job or she loves me or we're gonna have a baby. And then other times you get moments like this. And the question that Matthew's leaning in and I want us to press into as a church is what is our response gonna be when suddenly trouble comes. That's the first dimension. Another phrase I want to look at is what Jesus is, is up to. Second thing is the fact that Jesus is sleeping. I mean, this is, this is crazy. Now, I'm a bit of a deep sleeper, I'll confess. So uh, in our family, they know if we're going to watch a movie, it's like, okay, dad, how long are you going to be awake? Because I could just sit there and I'm quickly gone. And there can be all sorts of madness around me and I stay asleep. But you gotta picture this, this is an earthquake-like storm and that it is whipping and the waves are about to lap over the boat and it must be tossing and turning. These are little wooden fishing boats and Jesus is what? Jesus is sleeping. Well, it says a few things. I mean, Jesus is human, right? So even the son of man who's been doing all of this work, if you read Matthew eight, he's been doing all of these one-on-one uh, -on -one preaching opportunities and healing and bringing life to people. So he's tired, but, but more than that, Jesus is the only one that is not overwhelmed 
by the circumstances. And I think that's the contrast. Unlike the disciples who are freaking out, Jesus is sleeping in the boat. Yet at the same token, let's not confuse uh, Jesus's inaction with inability. And we quickly see in the narrative that yes, Jesus is asleep, but he, he responds. Where is Jesus when the trouble is happening? Uh, he's now on the shore in this scene. Jesus is in the boat with them. Let me just remind you, let me say it again. Jesus is in the boat. He's right there. And this is a good comforting word for us who feel trouble. Jesus is not far off somewhere and he's not unconcerned. He's right here with us. And, uh, and then what happens next? The disciples, they come like, Lord, Lord, you know, fear, fear is real and life can be really hard. But their response pivots where the story goes. Lord, master, we're, we're going to drown. And, and I love it. Verse 25, the, the disciples woke him saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. And there's a crazy, a crazy connection sometimes between, in this case, like master, teacher and disciples and or parent and child. Most of the time when I'm sleeping, you can't wake me. I'll find out what happened around the house. Like, oh, really, really? I, no, I had no idea. But uh, I remember, especially when our daughter, Allie, when, when she was young, sometimes like lots of kids at night, you know, it's scary. Uh, Jonah would just come into the room and let us know. But Allie, like she would get so scared that she just stayed in the bed. I don't blame her. And she would just say, dad. And I kid you not, I'm such a deep sleeper, but there's this like subliminal connection. I would wake up halfway to her room. I mean, I, I, I wasn't even awake as I am running to her room as if some tragedy was like, well, can you give me a glass of water? Or maybe something was, I see that on the wall or that shadow. But time after time, and we would laugh at it because Carmen would like the next, like, what is wrong with him? Like, I don't know. There's something within me. When I would hear a whisper, dad, I would jump out of bed and leap towards her to rescue. Well, just because of my daughter calling out. I think in the same way, uh, we need to remember when it comes to Jesus and our situation that we can come to him with everything and anything. And the father loves us and he's just looking for us to call on him. What do we see in the disciples? They say, Lord, save us. Now, um, what do you do with your fear? I think we see a great pattern here. Uh, in Greek, it's only three words. Lord, save, dying. Uh, in English, it, it sounds looks a little more melodic, but literally it's Lord, save, dying or perishing or, or drowning, which is a reminder that prayer doesn't have to be long. I mean, God knows exactly what we're going through. He knows exactly the anxiety that I'm facing right now. And he just wants me to come blunt, Lord, and then whatever you need, save and then let him know about your circumstance, drowning, dying, suffering, worried, anxious, confused, alone. Uh, we can come to him with anything and everything. And here's the funny thing about, not funny, but the reality of the scenario, being in pastoral work, uh, what many of you may not realize is that every single day, every single day, someone in our church is struggling. I mean, if you come on a Sunday regularly or go to one of our community groups, you would think some weeks are just great. I'm telling you, every single day of the year, there is someone in trouble. 
Uh, and when you read the headlines, there is always trouble around the world. I mean, trouble's not new, but we are sitting in a very interesting moment. We're at a spot where trouble has come to everyone at the same time. It's not an overstatement to say we're all in the same boat. And right now you may not be worried about contracting the virus. Um, you're young, you're healthy, and fortunately stats have shown that the young and the healthy for most, it's a mild uh, fever-like, a few days of feeling ill and you recover. But there are many in our community who have a compromised immune system or by age or a pre-existing condition that if they were to catch this, this could be severe if not lethal. And so wherever you are on the spectrum of what you feel, if you feel like this is an overreaction, it's okay to consider that. But I, I want us to really be thinking about the others. And the reason we're not meeting together in the room is because we're thinking about the most vulnerable people in our community and in our city. And we wanna make sure we're doing everything to love them by not passing it on. So collectively, even though I'm, I'm not sick when recording this, I'm feeling great. Um, others are ill and we're all in the same boat because financially, if you have any sort of investment, you've watched it wiped uh, this week and travel has been restricted. And I'm, I'm not a prophet of doom, but I have to think that there's gonna be some adjustments in the workforce and some people that are doing good work and are really just getting by are gonna be let go. And so we are in the collective storm together. All of us are feeling it. And is it gonna get better soon? I pray, but I don't know. And what do we know though about this story that could speak to our reality? Why is Matthew and how is Matthew trying to draw us in? Notice Jesus' uh, response, verse 26. He replied to them, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? You little faiths. Um, I want us to notice two things that happen in response that could really speak to our situation. Jesus does two things back to back and Matthew tells them the order for a reason. In Mark's gospel, the order is reversed, but Matthew is making, I think, a, a theological point. He's making a point here. Jesus speaks first, uh, first speaks to the disciples. Uh, so the, the whole narrative is about more than Jesus has power. Jesus is like the Lord God Almighty of Psalm 89. Um, Jesus is the one who calms the physical storms. Jesus is the one who defeats the enemies. Uh, what we see in the story here is that it's about discipleship to Jesus and Jesus presses them on their trust level. And we may be finding ourselves in a spot like that. I don't know about you and how long you've been following the way of Jesus, if this has been a serious pursuit or if you've taken it a little more lighthearted, uh, the question Matthew would ask you is, where is the state of your faith? Um, they didn't believe that they were safe in the boat with Jesus. They actually thought they were going to drown, which says they had a high respect uh, for Jesus, they, were, they admired his teaching. He was already a miracle worker, so he's not an ordinary man, but they had so much more to learn about Jesus. And I'm just here to tell you, friend, there's so much for us to learn about Jesus. There's so much more of him that I wanna know. And trials and storms and trouble, uh, they have a natural way of pressing where we really are. So don't be discouraged if you find yourself anxious in the moment. It is okay to feel afraid at times and to wonder and to doubt and to look around and say, man, God, where are you? 
But at the same token, we should turn our honest feelings back towards Jesus and they do the right thing. Lord, save, dying or drowning. They, they turn to him and Jesus says, okay, aha, you don't trust me for your safety now, but I am gonna show you that I am trustworthy. And that's, I think that's the word for us today. As we navigate daily headlines, I want you to remember that Jesus is trustworthy and he has been faithful to you so far. And if you look at your journey, he got you to where you are today and he's not gonna give up on us now and he's not gonna let us go under and we're not gonna be without his loving care. It doesn't mean we don't go through troubles. They got wet in the boat, all right? They felt the wind. They felt consumed. They thought it was over. Yet Jesus speaks to them first and then he speaks to the waves. And, and then he got up, the Bible says in verse 26, he rebuked the winds and waves and it was completely calm. And in a moment, nature submitted to the word of Jesus, which is a reminder that Jesus is more than able. He's the Lord. He's the Lord God Almighty and, and he can stop anything at any time. And until he speaks that word, and I do pray that within weeks or months and soon this will be over and a new season will come, let's not miss the discipleship opportunity. What is it now that we need to learn about Jesus and who he is and what he does? The Bible says in verse 27, I love it, Matthew 8, the men were amazed and they asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. At the end of the storm, the disciples end with a bigger view of Jesus. Who is this man? Now, following Jesus is a path. It's not just a one-time moment. He took these disciples in Matthew 4 and he calls them, come. He speaks to them, he teaches them, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. He gives them his word, and, and we're all in that process too. Jesus is growing what we know about him, but then there are circumstance moments. There are real life, real time moments where we're given the opportunity to, to display our level of trust in Jesus. If you find yourself failing at the moment, do not be discouraged. This is just one moment, one sentence in their entire story. By the end of Matthew's gospel, he says to these same people, go out. I'm with you always. Go into all the world. Share this good news. Baptize. Teach. I am with you always. You see, what they learned in the boat would come up later, years later, when they were given a new assignment. And in the same way, although none of us want this to happen, we can make the moment, most of it. As the people of God, we can see God work in our own discipleship and our own apprenticeship to him. And he could do something on the inside that can help us as we get to the next step on our journey and the next challenge that we're going to face. A couple of words, I think, that are obvious from not only the encounter here, because Jesus calmed the storm, just like he's gonna step in and he's gonna work through in our own world. Three things I think we ought to think about. And if you're uh, together with a group, maybe you can take these thoughts and point them towards one another and have a discussion around them. We ought to remain calm when everyone else is in a panic. And it is good if you're with some people, if you're with your community group, with some family, it's good to talk about, vocalize, verbalize. Don't, don't hold it in. Uh, that does not help your own soul. And I think God knows what's going on there anyway. So there's no sense in lying to everyone else. But we ought to remain calm while everyone else 
is panicking. And that's what it means in growing in discipleship to Jesus. Do we really trust him? I think back to, um, to Michael. So many fled Gulu at the time, and yet, because he had watched God's faithfulness in their church, he'd seen God faith, God's faithfulness in his own protection and care. He'd seen God's faithful hand that he was able to be a pillar of hope in the community and calm in the community, even while Coney and his followers, you didn't know where they were. Michael had the peace of God that surpasses all human understanding, guarding his heart and his mind in Jesus. And so he's able to live out his mission and remain calm. So friend, brother, sister, remain calm. Don't be overwhelmed with panic. Now we ought to share, second idea, we ought to share while everyone else is hoarding. I mean, there's so many memes out there. Some of them are hysterical about the chaos at supermarkets and, and, and other stores. And this is a word for us. There are people physically around us that may need what is currently in our possession. And so my word to you is because our hope is in Jesus, our rest is in him, and, and he is the one that can stop any uh, physical storm and any chaos storm and any emotional storm. Because he's the God who saves, we ought to be the people who share. And so now as a community, as a church, it's Saturday, so I can't give you any specifics because they'll be old by Monday, but we're already hearing back from some needs in the community. And so collectively, we're gonna do everything we can. Our staff is focused on serving you and serving our city, and we'll let you know uh, if there are any specific opportunities where you can step in and serve, but we should be the people who share when everyone else is holding on, okay? So where your heart and your mind get worried and you wanna hold a tight grip, uh, let your discipleship to Jesus, let your trust in Jesus shape how you live. And I hope that we're the people knocking on doors and then disinfecting the hands, I guess, but we're finding out how our physical neighbors, neighbors are, especially if you know someone in your community who's older or alone without family, let's be the first to be there and, um, and share. And then one last thought, uh, I love the picture of them all in the boat together, uh, walking through it, so to speak, going through it, and then getting to the shore together. We ought to stay connected while everyone else is going into isolation. Now, I know this is a tricky one. When in doubt, check out the CDC for the latest news on health and appropriate hand washing and all that. And it's good to not be in large groups, but at the same token, we could swing the pendulum way to the other side and be afraid to be with anyone. And the last thing we wanna do is all be holed up in our apartments or our homes, isolated from, from God's people. So I would encourage you, part of our trust in Jesus is, if you have some people that you know you ought to have in the home and share a meal, again, appropriate disinfecting and all those things and, and food servicing and all those things. But if, or it's just to have people over to pray, uh, don't be afraid to do that. If you're in a community group and you wanna keep meeting, uh, obviously if someone's sick, they should stay at home, but if everyone is well, let's be people who stick together in this time of crisis. We, we shouldn't just stay on our phone and, and tied to screens. It's not healthy emotionally, and uh, we ought to model what it means to be the people of God who are not guided by fear, but rather than faith in Jesus. And again, I'll say it again and again and again, use wisdom. But in the end, in what ways does Jesus want to use this experience to shape us as his disciples? 
Uh, and I leave you with the question because I can't answer that for you. Now, if you've not yet chosen to follow the way of Jesus, if you've heard the good news that Jesus did come as a very real man, and as a man, he could stand in our place. And at the end of Matthew, we see that Jesus goes to the cross and he pays our sin debt in full. The Son of Man came to seek and rescue people that had lost their way from God. And we know on the third day, Jesus rose again and he's alive and he has a power to, to not only change us from the inside, but change us on the outside. Jesus can save every bit of us. He can rescue us from our past and give us freedom and forgiveness now and give us the hope of life now and forever with him. If you've not yet taken the opportunity to say like they, call, they were called by Jesus in Matthew 4, now's your moment. Even now where you're at, if you're watching this by yourself with some others, say, Jesus, rescue me. I want to follow you. But for those of us who have, the question is, this is like our Matthew 8 moment, what is it about Jesus that we're not yet trusting? Or where are we trusting ourselves? Where are we self-reliant instead of leaning in on him, not just for some things, not when we just run out of things, but for all things. I think the invitation for us from Jesus is to grow closer and closer in apprenticeship to him and to lean on him. Well, before we uh, pray and, and wrap up our time together, uh, just a, a couple of things. If you have anything going on in your world, this is not the time to hide it. And so I think if you're watching off of our website, we have some links on our website. You can write in with a prayer request, give us your name, give us your email address. We have a prayer team at the church that usually prays with our people on Sunday gatherings and we flipped it. And every couple of days, we're gonna be sending them the latest requests. So please give us as much detail as you want. And in that as well, if there is a practical, physical, financial need, we want you to do the same thing. Don't be ashamed. We're the people of God. And so as we find out about needs, we'll be able to connect with them, people in our church and do our best to serve Jesus by serving you. Okay, so don't forget to click on the prayer request link. And there's also a give link. I realize this is a hard time to say like, wait a minute, uh, contribute, maybe I need to hold on. Just like the disciples in the boat, whenever we give, whenever we choose to be generous to others, it's really a step of faith. We're saying, as I release that God, I'm trusting that you're gonna provide for all of my needs as I choose to look outward towards the needs of others. So uh, you may feel like, oh, now's not a time to do it. I would encourage you, give faithfully to your local church and feel free, give faithfully to your physical neighbor next door, give faithfully to the people in your community group, give faithfully to the organizations you know and love and trust. Uh, this is the time not to hold on and hoard. I mean, be wise, but this is the time to step out in faith and say, God, you've given me this. I care for someone else. Now care for me. Uh, what do we do about next Sunday? Make sure to check our website regularly. Every week, we're gonna be giving you updates in real time. I think it's pretty confident to say that next Sunday, this will be our gathering as a church. But I wanna pray for you on behalf of our elders and our our pastors and our staff team, we love you deeply. We're trying to reach out as best we can. And we're just one click away or one phone call away. Let's stay connected. But let's talk to Jesus who's alive and listening and uh, wants us like the disciples in Matthew 8 to draw close. Let's pray together. Lord, uh, we're not together in the same room, but we're united in you. We are the people that you've called by your name. 
we're your sons and we're your daughters. Lord, for those who are feeling anxious now, restless, can't sleep, God, I thank you that you have peace, real peace to guard their heart and mind in you. Lord, I pray the peace of God over their soul, over their mind, over their heart, over their life. Lord, we, um, we don't have anything that didn't come from you in the first place, so we come to you with our requests about those who have lost their job already or are in financial trouble. Thank you that you're a great provider. God, help us to connect the dots. Give us wisdom on how to love one another by serving one another financially. Lord, we pray that you'll use us, each and every one of us, to identify the people around us that are in need. Show us the way, Lord Jesus. And God, when we wake up and we see new headlines, when we look around us and we see so much hopelessness, we choose today and as we wake up tomorrow to put our absolute 100% hope in you. Jesus, Lord, save, because we feel like in so many ways we're drowning. We come to you now, we come to you later, we come to you tomorrow, because you're a good father. Amen. Well, uh, I love you. If you have any questions or anything, reach out by email or by phone. And I look forward to updating you in just a few days.